if you talk to a neurologist, they will tell you that athletes are overheated. And the one thing neurologists agree on is that heat is not good for the brain or for concussion. So we want it to be standard of care that it's in every school, on every soccer field, for every cheerleading squad, um, every gymnast, that it's right there and you start it immediately in the field. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven med tech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. On today's program, we've got Beverly Huss, who joined Cool Therapeutics as president and CEO in September of 2013. Previously, Beverly was president and CEO of Vibrant, a company that developed a novel, minimally invasive therapeutic device for the treatment of morbid obesity. Prior to that, Beverly was with Guyton since 1986, actually, fulfilling a variety of executive roles within the company's various medical device divisions. She managed the worldwide endovascular solutions business as president and quadrupled worldwide revenues to $150 million for the carotid and peripheral vascular business in just under four years. Prior to that, Beverly held several executive-level positions across a variety of strategic business units within Guidon. She holds a master's degree in technology management from Pepperdine University and a BS in engineering from the University of Illinois. Beverly also has several patents to her credit in the cardiovascular and obesity medical device arenas and serves on the board of Surfire Medical and Sealed Medical. In this wide-ranging interview with Beverly, here are some of the things we cover. The origin story of Cool Therapeutics, including the early product concept and how Beverly got involved with the company. Beverly's strategic approach towards making the product a reality, including the regulatory clinical and reimbursement paths that were considered, Beverly's key learnings from her time at Vibrant and Guidant, and Beverly's favorite business book, The Leader She Most Admires, and the advice she'd give to her 30-year-old self. There's a lot more we cover in this wide-ranging discussion, but I wanted to call out a few things before we get started. First, joining me on this episode as a special guest host is Norbert Juist. Norbert and I go way back. In fact, we used to sell vascular devices into the same cath labs. Now he runs sales performance resources and specializes in recruiting for medical device sales and marketing positions, and he's quite good at it. Norbert not only brings a ton of industry experience to the table, but he's one of the most honest, genuine, and personable people I know. So if you're looking for a new gig or need help recruiting for some open positions, Norbert is definitely definitely your guy. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find a link to learn more about Norbert and his background. And no, he did not pay me to run this message. All right. Second, if you're new to these MedSider interviews and want to be updated when the next interview goes live, head on over to MedSider.com and enter your email address. That's M-E-D-S-I-D-E-R, MedSider.com. Rest assured, we will not spam you. In fact, the only time we'll ping you via email is when a new conversation goes live. Again, it's super simple. Just visit MedSider.com and right there on the homepage, you'll see the opportunity to enter your email address. All right. And lastly, as a reminder, if you continue to enjoy these conversations, please give us a rating in your podcast app. Just open the reviews tab and click on the old five stars. Thanks again. It really uh, helps us a ton. All righty. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Beverly, welcome to uh, MedSider Radio. Appreciate you coming on. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. And Norbert, you're with us here this afternoon. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking to Beverly. I say as always, but uh, have enjoyed have enjoyed you joining the show and uh, and these uh, these conversations are becoming a lot more informal and conversational, which I think uh, I think leads to some better some better entertainment. There's a little bit better entertainment value um, with these interviews. So, without further ado, Beverly, you have a incredible background in med tech, and you're doing um, what appears to be some pretty interesting things with Cool Therapeutics. So, really looking forward to this conversation and seeing where uh, where where it may take us. But before we talk a little bit more about your background, which I think we'll get to in the kind of the latter half of this discussion, let's first start with Cool Therapeutics, because I think that that might help set, set the stage for people 
to get a better feel for like where you're at in, in your career and what you're really trying to do with running running the company you're at. So maybe if you, if you could speak to your technology right now, maybe uh, even using a patient, a hypothetical patient as an example. Okay, thank you. It's great to be here and thank you for the very kind words. So I would start by saying that we have been cooling with a C, not a Q like our name, patients since before the time of Hippocrates. So cooling the body down a few degrees, two to five degrees centigrade to preserve the heart and the brain in a trauma situation before a vascular surgery when a vessel gets clamped or post-cardiac arrest to minimize damage to the heart and the brain. And so if you've ever put ice on an injury, you understand the power of cooling to reduce inflammation and the oxygen requirements of the cells. So what happens today is that a patient gets cooled with a cooling pad, which is placed on the outer portion of their body, upper torso and legs, and cold saline gets circulated through that and you cool from the outside in. And if you grew up in Chicago like I did, you know that that shunts all the blood from your extremities to your core, and the core, the heart and the brain is what you want to cool. So that's very slow, and it's, it has the benefit of being non-invasive. If you want to cool a little bit faster, then you have to take the patient to the cath lab under fluoroscopy or x-ray, put a large 12-14 French central venous catheter in, and circulate cold saline through that. And you get faster cooling because now you're cooling the core, but the problem is you've taken the patient out of the flow of care and you have to delay the primary procedure and potentially have bleeding complications because you have to anticoagulate the patient. So what we do is we deliver frozen saline particles, we call it snow internally, to the large surface area of the lungs. The lungs have the surface area about half the size of a tennis court, 70 square meters. Any physician you talk to about that will finish the sentence and say 70 square meters. So it must be one of the first things they learned in anatomy class. So we cool the lungs, the large surface area of the lungs. The blood that goes there to get oxygenated gets cooled, and then that cooled blood travels to the heart and the brain and cools the heart and the brain very quickly. So you might imagine a patient that has a heart attack and is coming in or a patient that is in the operating room about to undergo a neurovascular or vascular surgery, or a patient post-arrest, uh, those patients, many of them, uh, in, in the last two cases, all of them would be intubated. We have a special intubation tube that delivers frozen saline and ventilation, and then we have a machine with hardware and software that delivers that frozen saline to the lungs, cools incredibly quickly, two to six times faster than the competition, easily fits into the flow of care because intubating a patient is something you would normally do. It's just you have to do it with our tube and cool with our machine. And so we're really excited to have finished our first in human design. We're about to uh, enter a first in human study in uh, Eastern Europe or Australia, whatever site gets approval first. And we have cooled almost 100 large swine, 80 to 100 kilo swine, so human size. We've done our electrical testing, our verification and validation testing. So we're really excited now to, to put this in a human. And it's all about extending the golden hour, preserving tissue, and doing that in a way that's rapid because as one of our clinical investigators, Graham Nichols, says, if you don't cool quickly, cooling doesn't matter. So that's what we want to do. Cool the, the patient quickly, preserve heart and brain, 
and not get in the way of the flow of care, enable the flow of care to happen easily and quickly. Thanks, Beverly, for that for that background. This is super interesting. So if I I mean, without going too far into the weeds, if I understand this correctly, th- this is a first of the kind type of therapy. No one else is doing this. So I would presume, at least here in the US, this is a PMA type of uh, product. We we think it's an IDE 510K, a de novo 510K. Okay. Um, and so based on some early interactions, that's what we think. Obviously, that'll be borne out as we get further in the process with FDA. But that's kind of how we position ourselves. You know, we delivered through the lungs. Saline's already used in the lungs. And, you know, we've proven major things like we can cool quickly. We don't affect oxygen or gas exchange in the lungs. And we don't cause trauma to the tissues of the lungs. So we've done a lot of work to de-risk those major points. You know, the only time I've heard of this type of technology, and it's relatively new, even in like spinal cord injuries, you see them doing that. I mean, you can answer that question, I suppose. How long have they been doing that? But it's not very long, right, that they have been doing that for the spinal cord injuries? Spinal cord injuries is an emergent area for this. So that's something we'll be looking at in the future. This is most used post-cardiac arrest. So someone's heart stops and they shock their heart and bring them back. They will cool the patient 12 to 36 hours to minimize any tissue damage to the heart and the brain. And in fact, there's three studies uh, that support that. Uh, Bernard is the name of one. Haka is the second. And the third is a French study called Hyperion that uh, has shown a benefit post-cardiac arrest. And the really hard part about this is that because the technologies we have today on the market are not optimal, really the biggest proof of cooling has come in bypass surgery and post-cardiac arrest treatment. And so we think that we will expand cooling to more areas because we cool quickly, rapidly, easily fitting into the flow of patient care. And you get really good control in terms of holding temperature with our method as well. Certainly interesting technology, Beverly. And with your background in the vascular space, can you tell us a little bit more about where, you know, where this product concept came from and, and how you got involved with the company you know, back in what appears to be, you know, 2013 timeframe? This concept came from uh, Dr. Amir Belson. Amir is, Amir was an Israeli flight surgeon. He's a pediatric nephrologist. And looking at the technologies that were out there, especially when someone has a major heart attack, a ST segment elevation, myocardial infarction, and opening the vessel is the most important thing, he said, you know, no one's going to wait to cool the patient and then open the vessel. They're going to open the vessel first. We need something faster, quicker, easily fits into the flow of patient care. So I think in 2004, 2005, he had this concept for the technology. He raised a few hundred thousand dollars and started to build a patent portfolio. Amir likes to build a patent portfolio first and then start a company and find somebody like me to run it. Uh, because he's more of a technology clinical person and a very prolific inventor. So I actually met Amir and his wife, Tamar, with my husband, Charlie, um, at a Wilson-Sonsini Phoenix CEO event, and Amir started talking to me about the technology in early 2013, and I told him, okay, I'll, I'll look at this, I'll look at the patents, the market, 
And if I think it's, I'll, I'll do the work a, a venture capitalist would do to understand this. And if I like it, I'll come and be your CEO. And if I pass, I'll give you whatever work I've done because we're friends. And so obviously I'm here and you see I'm, we're doing our best to get this into the clinic and then eventually FDA and CE Mark approved and to market. It got it. And and you make that probably sound uh, a lot more easy than than it uh, than it pro- probably was to make to make that to make that decision and that that transition but was there something particular that attracted you about the technology was it was it the was it the technology in and of itself was it the ip was there a few things that that stood out that really drew you to cool therapeutics uh, that's a great question, and you're right. So what what I'm you know I'm sort of a technology geek, and I thought this was such a, a sophisticated, elegant, and yet sophisticated way to do this. It sounds simple in concept, it's sophisticated in execution, and I felt like if we could do this, we could apply it in many areas of medicine. And in addition to that, so post cardiac arrest, neurosurgery, vascular surgery sepsis, burns, trauma. Um, And so I felt like if we can do this and also exercise recovery. So if you lower an athlete's temperature back to normal, there's an exercise performance enhancement, and that could potentially be an early treatment for concussion. If we can cool the brain quickly on a football field, a soccer field, a baseball diamond, I heard the other day that the cheerleaders have the second highest level of concussions from getting, you know, thrown and flipped and falling on their necks and and heads. So I felt like if we can do this, we can really expand it across a range of areas and make a big impact in reducing trauma and reducing neurologic damage, damage to the heart. So that's what I thought was really unique about it and why I wanted to be a part of doing that. That's really cool. I can speak to the cheerleading part. My daughter uh, is a junior in high school, and she's had three concussions. The first one she got from a soccer ball drilling her in the head. The second one she got, she was a girl was doing a round-off back handspring and elbowed her right to the nose. And then the third one she got doing the pole vault, she went over, knocked off the bar, fell on the mat. The bar came down and hit her right on the bridge of her nose. So um, the sooner... The sooner you can get that technology for my child would be great. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's and the thing of it is, is that if you talk to a neurologist, they will tell you that athletes are overheated. And the one thing neurologists agree on is that heat is not good for the brain or for concussion. So we want it to be standard of care that it's in every school, on every soccer field, for every cheerleading squad, um, every gymnast, that it's right there and you start it immediately in the field. And so that's the vision of where we want to be. We'll start in the hospital and move out from that area. And it's all about, you know, in animal models, cooling quickly when there's an injury makes a difference. And so we need to make the equipment fit the human model to be able to cool anywhere and very quickly. And so for your kids and everybody's kids, we need that. It seems like the market is huge, but how do you actually determine, you know, for example, a lot of times when Scott and I do these, we talk to somebody who's treating a particular thing and they know that there are 88,000 of these particular, you know, whatever, heart attacks or events, shall we say, how do you put a market on something like this other than huge? <laughs> you kind of have to break it down by indication. 
where we'll start first, what will be the most straightforward indication to get, and then expanding it from there. So we would like to start, because it's a controlled setting, in the operating room and then expand from there. So the way we look at it is we go and we look at how many cardiac arrests are there a year throughout the world, how many strokes, how many brain injuries, you know, and what's the breakdown of where those occur and how they get treated. And then what is the first path forward for us to get an FDA indication? And that part is we're still in discussions with FDA about. So that part I I can't talk a lot about. So you figure out what's a straightforward path to get an indication. How can we get this product on the market? And then how do we expand from there and go and get other indications? So our first focus is in the hospital. When we go and look at market research, independent market research for cooling devices, the biggest market is in the hospital, surges centers, and then finally ambulatory centers. So we'll concentrate on that first and build the beachhead there and then expand our indications uh, from the hospital and those other markets. And then secondly, leverage our technology to exercise recovery to a more mobile unit that can be field deployable. And as we did research with the military, that's what the military is interested in, having a field deployable unit for trauma and other injuries that can occur in the battlefield. So we we want to have this core business in the hospital and expand from there. And we look at that market data, we go to the clinical literature and say, how many cases are like this around the world? What do we think we can penetrate sort of at a macro and a micro level? Then we build a business plan from the bottom up saying, we're going to start in the hospital. You know, where where would we go? How long will it take us to establish a beachhead uh, with this technology? You know, that one of my follow-up questions was going to be around, um, you know, focus, right? Because you could you could expand into so many different areas with this type of technology, Beverly. How do you focus? But you, you in essence, sort of answered, answered that question. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, man, it would be hard to turn down some of the opportunities or market opportunities, I should say, that, that would come about, right, with this right, type, of, right. type of technology. So on that end, is it just uh, an intense focus on sort of the the challenge at hand being um, being the one you just mentioned versus, you know, in essence, saying no to the other areas that, you know, seem like uh, seem like nice opportunities, but would be resource constraining? Well, I think what we've tried to do is, um, you know, the, the thing about being in a startup is you only get so much time and so much so many people and so much money to prove something. So that causes you to get laser beam focused on what's important in the near term and the long term. And we feel like if we prove the technology in one area, that it's safe, effective, better than the competition, then we can launch it in that area, generate revenue to get some of these other indications. And essentially, that's what our competitors have done. They're they're on the market. And the funny thing about this is that no one out there has any clinical outcome claim for cooling. Nobody, nobody has a claim, for example, that says, we preserve the heart or we preserve the brain, or we save these tissues. Nobody has it. They just have cooling for temperature management. And so um, not letting the patient's temperature get too high or too low. There's also a warming market. So what we want to do is establish that first beachhead. That's always been our strategy. And then go after very specific 
indications and prioritize those. And it's also really hard to get some of those. The patient populations are hard. For example, brain injury, concussion, that's a very heterogeneous patient population. So if you're going to get a claim there, you want to really understand what patients are going to most benefit from your therapy before you embark on a big clinical study. How do you measure when you had mentioned the brain damage that you're preventing or the the tissue damage that you're preventing? How would you quantify that? How would you measure it? Well, there, there for brain damage, there are CPC, Rankin scores, there are standardized tests for measuring patient brain function. For uh, cardiac arrest, um, you use those same neurologic outcomes, and then it's essentially, you know, there's such a high mortality rate post-cardiac arrest that you look at mortality and neurologic function. And then for stroke or traumatic brain injury, again, you would you'd get classified by those those various tests. So we initially want to say, you know, we can cool equal to or better. We think better than the competition and not create untoward effects, get our first indication, and then, you know, expand and do more studies after that. On that note, Beverly, you mentioned, you know, earlier in the conversation that you have uh, your first in-human clinical trials, I believe OUS, I can't remember the countries you, you, you mentioned, but what's your take on, I guess, where you're doing these clinical studies? Because you mentioned the de novo pathway might be the most feasible option right now when it comes to the FDA and that, that under the, you know, the regulatory uh, guise of the FDA, but why not start your clinical trials in the, in the U.S. versus outside the United States? Well, you know, we had actually looked at uh, starting an early feasibility study in the U.S. and um, working through some of the meeting times with FDA, it just became clear to us that it was faster to go outside the U.S. Now, that's not to say we haven't done all the same testing we have for the U.S. Indeed, we have bench animal biocompatibility, sterilization, validation, all those things, verification and validation, all of those things. It's just that you can start the application process outside the U.S. while you're waiting for your final data, and then you don't start your trial until you have supplied that data. And so that's why we elected to go outside the U.S. And we know that um, what often happens and what is planned for us is that We'll go and do our first in human with what we believe is a safe product. And then there will be things that need to be changed and modified after we get that data to make the product better. And then that'll be the product that we pursue under the regulations in a clinical study here in the U.S. On that note, you know, we recently had a conversation with uh, with Dan Rose, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's the um, uh, he's currently the, the CEO of, of LimFlow, but was with DirectFlow Medical prior to that. He mentioned that this concept of the, the valley of the valley of death, which is, you know, yeah. a, a reg- regulatory approval from from FDA or clearance or approval, depending, I guess, the, the the device class. But then this this period of time when you you can't effectively commercialize because insurance there's no insurance coverage or, or reimbursement. So how how are you thinking about about that that latter topic in coverage uh, insurance coverage and reimbursement? Because it seems like that. Without a CPT code and without insurance coverage, um, whether it's you know Medicare or private pay, that's that's even becoming a, a bigger obstacle with a lot of early early stage tech med tech uh, devices. Well, the beauty of this technology is that there are ICD-10 
and CPT codes for therapeutic hypothermia that we believe get reimbursed under the DRG based on our research. So there are already codes there for payment. So this for us, as we see it, is an execution play where we have to generate the clinical evidence, we have to prove our claims and get this to market, but there are codes there today which support the use of these devices. So that that's one of the nice parts. There's We believe there's a regulatory pathway. We have to firm that up with FDA. It's not guaranteed yet. It never is until you have approval, honestly. And then um, there's a regulatory pathway. So it's really about execution on our part. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for uh, clarifying that. Do you have any other follow-up questions with respect to, to Cool Therapeutics, or are you okay with kind of um, talking a little bit more about uh, Beverly's prior experience and her kind of broader yeah. medtech career? I'd love to hear the the previous company, you know, with the uh, the technology for obesity and stuff it seems fascinating. I'd love to hear about that as well. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.